as, as an athlete, as an ex-athlete, I think that having an identity and a passion outside is, is critical mm-hmm. to any sort of move afterwards. But not only that, but understanding that having a plan, like anything, can go belly up. So having the resilience and the identity piece down pat is, is more important than actually having a plan itself. I'm Jamie Nobbs, a former Australian figure skater, and you're listening to So What's Next, the podcast where we talk to different athletes from different sports and talk about their experiences transitioning from sport and into their next career phase. On this week's episode, I would like to welcome Alipate Carlisle, the Australian Football League player. Alipate played for the Port Adelaide Power. He was born in Lotoka, the second largest city in Fiji, and moved to Australia at the age of one. Alipate then went on to play for the Wangaratta Rovers in Victoria, semi-professionally for the AFL team there, and then became pick number 44 from the 2005 draft from the Murray Bush Rangers. So that was the state under-18s team in Victoria. Alipate made his Australian Football League debut in round 16 in 2006 against St Kilda, and 2008 was pretty much his breakout year. So he played all 22 games in the season uh, Alipate then retired from sport at the conclusion of the 2016 season. Uh, he announced his retirement and his track record shows he's played 150 games all for Port Adelaide Power, which is incredible um, since commencing his career in 2006. Alipate is now the multicultural programs manager at the Port Adelaide Football Club and while he's completed a variety of diplomas and study, he's really open about the transition out and the support that he received from the AFL during his during his transition from sport into, in this case, a more business corporate role. I really enjoyed this chat and I can't wait for you all to listen to it. So without further ado, thank you to Alipate for joining this episode of So What's Next. Thank you so much for, for jumping on the call with me. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. I want to get started by asking you a little bit about like what your childhood was like, how you actually got into AFL. Yeah, well, um, I was born in Fiji, um, and we had to uh, get, we got kicked out of the country uh, really quickly due to a military coup. So I bounced around Melbourne a little bit, and then settled in Wangaratta because my grandfather had a farm up there and needed some assistance. So yeah, all of us uh, moved to Wangaratta. At that stage, it was only me and the two brothers, but now we've got a sister and a, a younger brother as well. Again, so there's five of us, and yeah, times were times were interesting back then because we um, were always fighting for food and all that sort of stuff with each other mainly. But um, yeah, we grew up. I ended up settling on the farm, and we yeah, we just I started playing a fair bit of soccer um, and basketball as a young kid, and then mum got pretty sick of uh, driving me around uh, a lot of the time because. Sometimes we'd have to drive like four or five hours for a tournament and stuff like that. And yeah, so she couldn't really be focused on just the one kid. So she asked me to, to stop playing soccer and said to, if we could play football because it's a bit more local. And um, yeah, little did she know, a few years later, she'd be traveling to China and stuff like that to watch <laughs> the game. So nah, it's, uh, it worked out really well. But yeah, I started when I was about probably 12 or 13. So um, I was reasonably late to the game compared to some of the others. Was the transition from soccer to AFL pretty seamless or was it quite a 
different sport, different tactics, different game? Back then, it, was, it wasn't much tactics and stuff involved, to be honest. You just out there playing and just uh, running off, I suppose, a bit of, like, there was a little bit of stuff, but we sort of watched a fair bit of football growing up because Dad was a mad Collingwood supporter, Mum's mad West Coast, and so we were always just watching the game and yeah, we sort of picked up a little bit of that and just went into football and ended up getting drafted to Port Adelaide, so I was pretty very, very lucky. How did your parents feel about being a Collingwood and an Eagles fan? Did they meet in the middle for Port Adelaide or? Yeah, they ended up getting on board eventually after a bit of after digging in the heels a fair bit. But my mum didn't really, she wasn't too fussed. She was over in Fiji when I actually got drafted. So she she wasn't even in the country. So, um, but yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was good growing up because the household always had something to talk about. And we always had that connection. Um, it was always about sports. So it was good. Yeah. What did your training and recovery actually look like as a junior and then developing as a more senior player? Yeah, to be honest, I only heard about recovery probably in the last year of under-18s and they started talking about it and that's when it was a real sort of turning point that the under-18s is a bit more professional now and they're really, really, really red hot on stuff like your diet, your recovery, um, stretching, stuff in the pool. So I was doing a bit of a few pool sessions and bike sessions during the week, um, mainly to keep me weight down, but it was a uh, form of recovery as well, which is um, used at AFL level as well. So I think, yeah, it was a, it was a good sort of stepping stone. The under-18s TIC Cups are a really good stepping stone for any budding sort of footballer that wants to get in. And I think the professionalism's really stepped up. And even over here, I've seen the under-18s and the junior the junior talent squads and stuff, how, how much time and effort they actually put into those, those areas of the game. Mm. And how about the training? So I'd imagine you're playing weekly games, you're constantly travelling. What was the training like during the week for that? Yeah, it was uh, like when we were in the under-18s, we were travelling uh, two or three times a week. Obviously, the guys would come and train at Wangaratta, um, which was a central point to the Murray Bush Rangers, but so we'd have to travel to Melbourne every second week. We'd have home games, but I'd still have to travel to Rodongo or Shepparton. So yeah, it, was, uh, it was pretty taxing. But you just uh, sort of make your way to the games with either families or friends or something like that that's going to support you. And uh, really grateful that, that, that those sort of options were available. When you did make the move to Adelaide, what was that kind of transition like? Was it a different lifestyle in comparison? or? I'd say it was, a, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty sort of minor step compared to going to, I'd say, Melbourne or, or Brisbane or Sydney or something like that. But uh, I'd been to Adelaide once before but hadn't really spent any, any time in the city or anything like that. So it was really good. We got drafted on the Saturday and then on the, I think, the Wednesday we rocked up. Uh, Tuesday night, sorry, we rocked up to Adelaide and had to stay until Christmas time and then when we got on the next break. So uh, I was pretty sort of happened really, really fast. And you go through all the education sessions that the AFL provide you and all that sort of stuff. So it's, a, it's actually a good, uh, good way to sort of introduce new players to the system. And then you've got to learn 40-odd names at the footy club and then that's just the players and you've got the staff and the support staff and all that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, it's awesome because I, I love the experience of uh, meeting new people and stuff, so it was really good. I'd imagine when you're spending that much time together and away from family, you guys get very close very quickly. They'd become family or like family for you. Yeah, definitely, especially the first and second year players that you get drafted with. You form pretty, pretty strong bonds and relationships with them really quickly. Um, we came across them. We went straight down to Henley Beach, which is a lovely part of the world. Um, and we stayed in the one group accommodation, which was really cool. We got to know each other really well. And then after that, we got 
billeted out by some of the players till Christmas, which is a cool experience. You get to see see some of the older players go about their business with, with the lifestyle, uh, with the recovery, with sleeping properly. And yeah, so it's a, it a bit of a shock to the system, but it's something that all the players love and they always, I still got some fond memories of those sort of times. When you were towards the, the latter part of your career, did you then, when you had first-time drafters and stuff coming in, did they then bill it with you? Is, that, is it like a full cycle? Yeah, I had a few boys stay with me um, during their first couple of years. So I think Marlon Wallop stayed with me for a, for a while. Um, Jake Need was meant to stay with me till Christmas, ended up staying a year. So <laughs> I think, yeah, he's, I, I still debate whether he's moved out at all because he's, he's still hit me up for free feed. Um, but... Yeah, no, it's, it, was, it was really cool because you always uh, you get taught one way and it's sort of put on you to give back. So that's one part about football clubs and communities that I deal with that I love. I think it's a really unique experience. I don't think there's many sports where they're like so, I'm going to say accommodating. I, I know in figure skating, mm. like you'd go and stay with family, friends and stuff like that, but it would never be a structured program that's like you got to hang out with the older players, learn from them and experience their day-to-day life. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I was really lucky to have some good mentors at the club like Daryl Wakeland and Toby Thurston's and guys like that who, who would go out of their way to make you feel welcome and stuff but also help you out with your football and any other issues that you've got off the field, which is something that I sort of tried to do with the younger guys coming in as well. So uh, it does a bit of a full circle and it's pretty rewarding at the end. Mm. When you look back at your time as an athlete, what are you most proud of? Yeah, looking back, probably uh, the turnaround that we were able to achieve. Like we had, we had some really successful years, especially in like 2007. We sort of come from nowhere and made the grand final, even though we got belted. Um, uh, but then we went some real, some real grim years there. We, I think we two years we won about eight, eight and a half games maybe in two years, which is pretty embarrassing. But then um, the turnaround that we undertook. In 2013, 14 it was amazing to be part of and playing a role, and that was something that I always hold pretty dear to myself. And then, obviously, the life membership, where with all the movement, player movement these days, where it's so easy for players to walk out on contracts and stuff like that. I think becoming a, being a one club player was something that I'm pretty proud of as well. So, yeah, there's a few there, and uh, obviously the connections I've made. I've met my wife through football and got two kids now. So, yeah, it's something that football's always like always opportunities and stuff to, to give back which is cool and find ways to connect mm. I didn't know you met your wife through football that, in my in my google search in my stalking I didn't see it <laughs> <laughs> no we uh we started in their netball club so the Thunderbirds so she played there so I actually I actually did my stalking on my own and uh, <laughs> yeah chased her down in Westlake one day so I was uh <laughs> it was yeah, that's a bit embarrassing, but yeah. Oh, that's all right. I'll, I'll make sure I keep it in the recording. She can hear that. <laughs> maybe maybe ed- edit that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's wonderful. I think they're really nice achievements. Do you think when you did talk about the turnaround of the Port Adelaide team and actually going from winning eight and a half games in two years to, yeah, it really quickly improving, do you think that was to do with like the team culture or was there anything in particular that you thought made that turnaround happen? Yeah, a few of the boys have spoken about a meeting that we all had. There was a group of about 10 of us who were in that sort of middle bracket. Uh, we had guys like Travis Boat, Justin Westhoff, John Butcher at the time, Robbie Gray. Uh, we all had a meeting. It was actually during Mad Monday week, which is <laughs> it was a lunchtime day, so we weren't <laughs> we weren't we were ripping in just yet. But um, yeah, we just had enough. Like, we just thought we got to come back and we got to come back fitter. We got to have a real crack. We just lost our coach. We'd. Uh, 
come, we'd had a pretty tumultuous sort of year, couple of years, and they were really grim. And then that off season, we uh, it just happened. It was, it was a shocking circumstance. We lost a teammate who passed away sadly. And then we, yeah, so after that, that sort of off season, it really struck us that we wanted to get the club back in a position where we were challenging for a premiership pretty quickly. And we sort of spoke about the hard work that had to be done. It was a, it was a massive, massive culture shift in our mindsets because uh, we were winning off the field um, when we were partying, but we weren't winning much on the field and we got sick of that. So, yeah, we wanted to change it around. And we had a real good injection of some players that helped out a lot with that and the new coach, new president and that sort of stuff. So it was just a, sort of a perfect storm mm. for everything. that, um, And it ended up yeah, having some really, really good years where we won some finals, played some finals, but unfortunately didn't get close. Didn't get to play in the grand final, but the, we made it to the prelim in 2014, which was really special. I think having that, I guess, team drive to the culture change rather than it being like um, management down sort of thing, the team driving mm. it must have been a massive good thing for the culture. Yeah, and we're seeing it now with uh, with teams like Richmond who've turned, they were described pretty some pretty bad or aggressive words towards them a few years ago. And, the culture change that they've undertaken is all about connection and that's uh, something that I'm obsessed with, with everything we're doing these days. And the Port Adelaide Football Club has been really good with that last two years with connecting with each other and getting a level of understanding where the cares are uh, higher than what it has been before. So I think, um, yeah, we'll start to see some, some, real, some real positive signs from that going forward in the next couple of years, especially with the young group that we've got. That's awesome. I can't wait to see it. When you look back... What are some of the more difficult challenges that you face? Was like injuries a thing, or it was probably yeah. oh the injuries aside, um, that happens with professional sport no matter what. So I think there's very rarely that blokes go into a game that they're 100 percent fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're always carrying some little niggling injury or something. If you happen to go out with an injury, then that's that's uh, that's up to you. But I think the hardest the hardest thing for me was probably around like from my background and my personality is probably the professionalism at, at stages. I think that, yeah, just a bit of a, a bit of a shock to come to an AFL club where we didn't have much background, whereas uh, it, with with the professional side of things, like the full diets and all that sort of stuff. So I think that sort of really kicked in um, in 2013 for me, but that was pretty late compared to some of the guys who are coming in these days who are just – meticulous with their preparation, with their with their diet, with their recovery and all that sort of stuff, whereas me was more of a learning curve across the journey of my career. Mm, you, I'm guessing if it was a, a new thing as you developed into like a more senior player, it would have taken a fair bit of time. I know in figure skating, diet and recovery and everything is quite strict. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I'd, imagine, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'd imagine it's the same with AFL. Probably not quite the same uh, sort of diet restrictions, but I'd imagine it would be quite meticulous for the more like senior players. They would have had it pretty much down pat. Yeah, we've heard some some of the rules from the Hawthorne boys that sort of stretch out their careers that they'd uh, play a kilo lighter every year after 30. So I think Sean Bergon's probably 40 kilos now. He's, he's getting on that old, but... <laughs> I think, yeah, some of the players are really strict and they do an amazing job. Like Travis Boak, what he's done in the last probably two or three years has been amazing for he, for himself and his career. And I know that's got to do 100% with his preparation. Mm. What he does in the off-season, what he puts in his mouth, everything's like everything's like spot on. Um, and he knows his body that well these days that uh, there's there's no guesswork in it and he can just concentrate on playing footy and he's, he comes second in the Brownlow this year. So... I think it's working. I'm pretty sure it's working. (laughs) 
you've touched on it a little bit here, but just in the way that you manage stress. So what you do, what you eat, how you sleep, all of those do come into it. But then when you transition out of sport, I'd imagine that would be quite a shock to the system, similar to traveling a lot. So you'd be constantly thinking about traveling. How did the way you manage stress change from like in sport and then moving away from sport? Was that quite a, a big change and a big stress on the body? Probably the, the stress on the on the body and the mind in particular during your career is is pretty pretty ruthless. Like you you obviously got a role to play within the team, and then you start to feel the weight of getting older, getting a bit slower. How do I counteract that? You start to become pretty innovative with how to deal with those sort of um, things physically, but mentally you understand that you're growing. As, a, as an older athlete with more experience because when you're young, you just, you're just sort of relying on your athleticism or, your, or the, the being up and about, whereas when you get a bit older, you start to get a bit more mature and stuff and you start to be able to find different ways to counteract different players and stuff. Uh, and I think with the transition, something that uh, a lot of players don't, don't do well is understand the, the skills that they have, especially like the stuff with dealing with stress and about communication, about leadership, about being innovative and all that sort of stuff. It's their skills that people in the workspace, they, they're crying for. They want those sort of skills. Whereas as an AFL player or as a professional athlete, you've got these skills already on board because of the experience that you've had. So understanding that taking that sort of positive mindset that those skills can be transferred really, really comfortably and easily um, is something that you know, a, lot of, a lot of athletes should probably put a feather in their cap and say, you know, I've got this. I've got this, so have some confidence about it. Mm, I think there's a lot of skills that athletes learn that they don't realise they have until other people actually point it out. Mm. And I guess that's something I'm learning now as the podcast is going on. People are mentioning these things and I'm like, oh, yeah, I I can do that. Um, And it's stuff (laughs) I've never really thought about because as an athlete, you're just like, I guess it's like I'm in it to win it. I'm just focusing on the sport. Mm. You're not thinking about all the great things that make who you are. Um, that really leads nicely into like this post-transition chat now. Can you tell me a little bit about your transition out of sport? Did you have a plan B set up? Was there anything that you'd put in place before retiring? Um, Well, I'll start from the start because I tried about four or five different university courses that I quit within about three weeks because I understood that I didn't want to borrow it. It was around design, construction, um, construction management, finances. And I just really struggled because I didn't understand that I needed a passion to get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lucky enough to become a multicultural ambassador for the AFL and Australia Post uh, through the later stages of my career. And that's where I've realised that and I recognised that I was passionate about that area. So I started to do some study around that mm-hmm. and the study seemed seamless. It seemed like it was more of a tick box for me, which was awesome because you realise that, yeah, like the, if you're doing what you love, you don't, it's not like you're working sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I think that, yeah, that was part of the reason for me having, uh, like I, what I seen was a pretty, really good uh, transition. And then obviously walking upstairs to the community department at the footy club and having my own program and my own responsibility was really, really cool too. So they helped me uh, to no end the footy club with uh, making sure that I was comfortable and some of the skills that I wasn't really good at, they helped me out. Um, to get some training in those sort of skills, uh, and like we, as an as an AFL footballer, you you sort of miss a lot of the the grunt work that you have to do as a as a normal employee. So skills like uh, 
Excel and you know all those sort of stuff. You miss out on that grunt work, yeah. Which you need as you get as you get bigger and as uh, your role uh, grows. Mm. So uh, just going back to those basics and and saying to myself, it's okay not to know these things because you know you've done something for so long and everything you know was wrapped up in that. You didn't have to do all this, but now it's uh, it's, just, it's just another challenge that you got to overcome. So I think. Um, yeah, the, having the support in, uh, in place to help me get those sort of skills was really important as well. I think it's something um, that you probably did learn from sport without really recognising it was just identifying that as an opportunity and seeing it as like, I can still grow, um, there's room for me to learn and improve. I think some people have the mindset that they're like, I know everything, I don't need to grow, I don't need to learn. I think being an athlete, you do recognise there is an opportunity for my growth here and I think that's a really cool skill that – I took away from that. What yeah. is, what's your role looking like now? So you're the multicultural programs manager at the Port Adelaide Football Club. What, especially this year, I'm more curious, what has the the community engagement and activities around that been like for you? Yeah, obviously with uh, in the middle of a pandemic, it's not ideal to be, to be running footy-based programs um, at school. So... But we've, we uh, we adapted really quickly in that space because um, we just use football as the engagement. So the, the, the program I manage is the Parent to Cultural Program and it deals with Year 10 11 students from a multicultural background um, and connects them with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, history and culture, mm-hmm. uh, but also does delves into their own identity, which is a huge part, uh, a huge challenge for some of these students. And, yeah, it was based around football, but... We also have assessments where they have to go through and once they complete those assessments, they get 10 SACE credits for their completion. So it goes towards their uh, completing their year 12 education. So it's um, mainly educational based. So what we what we pivoted, we uh, went online with that and uh, we started doing Zoom calls with the kids and getting to know them that way, which is uh, something we'll probably take into the future because we realise we can get into the classrooms a lot more, which is cool. But um, yeah, the big piece is around identity and same that's based on my own experience with having a not uh, solidified my own identity mm-hmm. and some of the challenges that I face because of that. But I think that once you've got that that real strong identity, it, you end up finding your passion, and then you find that yeah, that uh, life's a bit more uh, a bit more like this instead of up and down. So a bit more structured, which is good. Yeah, with that, like the challenges faced with identity, was that something you encountered in football? Yeah, so um, it was definitely with football because uh, a lot of, I'd say a lot of elite athletes have their identity around just that, being an elite athlete. And then when that's gone due to, due to old age or um, getting delisted or something or retirements, what's next? So a huge part of that for me was understanding that uh, I'm, I'm more, I was more than just a footballer. I'm, I'm now a dad, a taxi driver. Them. Um, uh, I'm a husband, I'm an uncle, I'm a business owner. You know, so there's so many different uh, identity pieces that make me uh, not just being an ex-athlete. So mm-hmm. uh, that's something that yeah, all, everyone sort of goes through. And once you once you're comfortable with that, it's it's about finding the the roles that make you full uh, to fill your cup. So uh, around the multicultural programs, um, being a dad and a husband first and foremost is my number one. Um, and everything else sort of falls in around that. But, yeah, having three or four focuses helps with the with the daily grind, as some people call it. But, yeah, I think that's really important. Yes, you touched on filling the happy cup. I'm a big believer in that and a big supporter of, yeah, you've got to find what makes you 
happy and what brings joy. Um, I sound like Marie Kondo saying that. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Jeez. My wife's all over that. She's all over that. Oh, yeah, look, so am I. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> She's got Trying to get days. to fold me, fold me clothes like oh, 15 <laughs> different directions of life. Jeez, yeah. down. <laughs> but it's it's seeming it's um it's sinking in. We've we've just touched on it, so it's it's everywhere now. Um, How valuable do you think it is for athletes to actually have a plan when they stop playing? So now that you've transitioned out and into a into a full time role, yeah, how valuable do you think it is for athletes to actually think about their plan B while they're still playing sport? Yeah, it's uh it's it's a massive focus for the AFL in particular. So they find that if you the more broader your identity is and other facets of your life are settled, the better you transition and they don't have as many uh, repercussions later on down the track, I think, is um, it's a big thing. So as, as an athlete, as an ex-athlete, I think that having an identity and a passion outside is, is critical mm-hmm. to any sort of move afterwards. But not only that, but understanding that having a plan, like anything, can go belly up. So having the resilience and the identity piece down pat is is more important than actually having a plan itself mm-hmm. because if you're if you're planning to get into an industry and you don't actually get in there what's after that especially if that's your only other plan so understanding that uh, resilience matters resilience is huge especially in the current climate that we're in at the moment with our job opportunities not really jumping out at you at the moment so it's important to understand that your plan A, your plan B might not work, but it might be plan C or D. Mm. So locking yourself in is a little bit dangerous, but understand that 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 might be your passion and don't let that stop you either. Just keep trying to get in the door. I think you've made some really good points about identity and especially professional athletes, that being their only, I say um, with air quotes, your only identity. I think that's pretty common across a lot of sports, the higher up you are and also with how much time you're investing, it is your like complete lifestyle having that identity as a sports person. It must be quite a shock. What skills do you think as an athlete you've actually acquired that have helped you get where you are today? So you have touched on a couple like communication and leadership and stuff, but what other skills do you think as an athlete that people can take away from sport and put into the business world? I think so. One thing that I'm starting to see more and more, especially in the business world, is that they're starting to value the connection piece and belonging. So, and because the AFL are two or three, uh, some clubs are actually 10 years ahead in that space, understand that those skills will be invaluable for big organisations, for uh, for starting your own business, stuff like that, because everyone wants to be valued, recognised and appreciated, but also how, how, how do you make these feelings of belonging and connection natural as possible. So that's what uh, I think a lot of team sports people bring to the table, along with their own own uh, unique skills that they've got, but they're the main ones. But also, if you've been in the system for 10 years, you would have seen three or four um, sometimes different leadership models. So how can you take parts of each of those to help your organisation that you're going as an employee and talk about those skills that you do have. And a lot of the AFL players are actually, and ex-AFL players are actually really good at facilitating those conversations because we've been sat out the front, uh, berated. Like I say, we used to, <laughs> I think as athletes in general, we used to cop and feedback, as yep. some would say. 
Um, but and how you react to that's really important. So uh, just understanding that you can actually be a sounding board for some of the employees that might be going through those sort of difficult moments that you went through as a, as a younger sort of athlete, like 18. Well, I think we sat through the, our first sort of leadership session and they were pretty brutal back then. So um, there wasn't much empathy going around, which is, <laughs> but now it's all about empathy and understanding and connecting. I think businesses can learn a lot from team sports. Coming from someone that's an individual sport, then going into a team environment was weird for me, but I mm. think businesses can definitely take a lot from team sports. It's great to see the the culture of Port Adelaide is so strong and so uh, welcoming as well, and I think it really reflects in how you guys have played this season. <laughs> Since you've stepped away from competing or playing, what do you think are some of the most important resources needed in place to actually help athletes? Um, we've actually got a really strong association that helps us with transitioning um, during during our uh, during our careers and then support for afterwards. So. I think uh, everything that, you know, as long as you're treating as a as an individual as a whole person, uh, is the main sort of point. Especially like, because I might be really strong in like um, my mental health, but I might be, I might suck at finance. Yeah. So understanding that those networks that are within football clubs within the AFL itself are are available. Um, and once you realise your strengths and your weaknesses outside of football, then you can sort of lean on those professional services to help you out. And stuff, but also surrounding yourself with good people is really important. People that you trust that aren't taking you for a ride, because I've seen it time and time again. Uh, the the drop off, uh, I'd say, with uh, people who are wanting to to contact you or connect with you, and then suddenly AFL finals comes around, they're they're hitting you up again, so <laughs> for tickets. So I think yeah, it's just it's interesting space, but it's uh, yeah, the the transitioning athletes really really important, especially for. Because life goes on and it's important that the, the athletes have still got that connection with their sport, I think, mm. as well. Definitely. Yes, you're not the first person to mention when athletes are at their peak of their career, they've got a big support network and then when they leave the sport or they move on to something else, a new career, they've their support network gets a little bit smaller. What did yours actually look like when you were playing sport? I imagine it would be your team, your management team, um, your coach. Was there anyone outside of that that was like a pivotal person or a crucial person in that point? Yeah, I'd say um, someone that sort of goes by the um, – he's sort of in the in the shadows a little bit. He, he um, His name's John Hood um, and he uh, had a connection to my culture actually. He, he worked in Fiji for three or four years. Uh, and he's he's massive in finance and that and, and accountancy and he, he um, was my mentor mm-hmm. from day dot pretty much and still to this day I'm still very very connected to him. He's still a sounding board for me for every sort of move that uh, I'll, I'll do post football and he's been a huge support for myself, my wife, my family and just supporting me with stuff outside of football which is inevitably is it's bigger than, than what you're actually playing on the weekends because I think a lot of people get caught up with the two or three hours that you're on the TV, um, but they don't see the grind in between. So, and that that's that's all encompassing. That's not only training and weights and meetings and stuff at the football club, but you got to go home and you, what are you doing with your time at home? So, mm. um, he was he's been really good for me, but also like the family. I'm still really really strongly connected with my family and. They're, they're, they've always been my focus to help them out as much as possible. Do you have much family in Australia now or is a, a, a lot of the family still over in Fiji? 
Uh, so all my brothers and sisters live here and mum and dad. Shout out to them. They're stuck in Victoria, a couple of them. So uh, it's not great. But uh, um, but all my mum's mum's uh, sisters and all my cousins and stuff are all back in Fiji. So, they're, uh, yeah, it's awesome because I used to go back once a year prior to kids um, and just sleep in the village, which is cool, and just uh, – you make your bed wherever you could. and <laughs> sort of it was, a, it was an amazing sort of experience because you'd go back and you'd really – I'd find myself really connecting with uh, with how things are done back there and it would simplify life for me every time I'd come home yeah. back here. Have you taken your kids over to Fiji yet? Is that down the track? Yeah. I've t- no, I've taken them a couple of times. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting because uh, – they're running amok, these two, and then the, all the other little Fijian cousins and stuff, they're all so respectful. I'm just like, oh, you two, you two are going to get it when we get home. <laughs> so, no, they're, they're good. They're, um, they're full on and everyone's talking about him being a father-son to my little boy, but I think he's too heavy already. I think he'd be a back rower in the rubbish. <laughs> we'll wait and see. I want to now ask, what legacy do you most hope to leave as a person? So this doesn't necessarily have to be, I want to be remembered as an AFL player, but how do you want to be remembered as a person? Um, just someone who always uh, put others first. Uh, I think if you focus on other people, it makes, it makes me feel full. Like it fills my happy, the, the happy cup that you spoke about before. And just yeah, it just makes me feel really good about everything that I'm doing, with the focus on being being my my wife and my kids, uh, everything else I put forward first. And I love seeing people succeed and helping young people, especially succeed, uh, whether that's in in sport, which uh, a lot of them seem to focus on. But I think just in life in general, yeah, I love I love seeing people finding their finding their passion number one thing, but also making making uh, being able to to put themselves in a position to be able to give back to their own communities as well. Mm, I think that's wonderful. There are, I'm sure there are so many athletes that look up to you now and back when you were playing. Do you have any advice that you received as an athlete that you still carry with you today? Um, we're talking footy trips here? Or? <laughs> um, nah, to be honest, probably some of the, some of the small life lessons, uh, really, really important stuff. And like the way I think the the way you front up is really important. No matter no matter how hard you think your life's going, there's always people worse. And to make sure that I think empathy is one of my main values. I try and understand what other people are going through, um, which sort of keeps me pretty grounded in everything I'm doing these days. No matter how um, how successful or unsuccessful everything's going for me, I understand that I want to be able to put myself in a situation where. I can still have an impact on others and uh, make sure that that's a positive one. I have one last question for you, and it's a question that I finish off every podcast episode with. So what's next? What's on the horizon for you? What's coming up? Oh, look, uh, so we own some F45 gyms at the moment. So I think, yeah, the wife's right into that. But I think, yeah, just making sure that we, because we're planning on moving to Sydney at some stage. So trying to get a plan around that and, Hopefully that sort of comes to fruition. So uh, that's to be close to the family. But, um, yeah, we've got a few different business things going on outside of my role at the footy club. So it's just finding the time and the, uh, to try and balance that out with, with kids and stuff, which is another sort of stress for some, for most athletes, I think, um, is finding that balance. Once you do get 
I think that's a, probably the most daunting part about retiring is having choices, having yeah. to make choices. Like yeah. you don't have the structure of like your your day set out for you. So I think understanding that that's that's coming as well. So that's another sort of life lesson for you, for the transitioning athletes is um, don't get daunted by the choices or scared. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time because we're we're pretty fresh into business, myself and my wife. But it's something that we're really really excited about, and yeah, wake up pretty pretty pumped up every morning, which is good, even though it's at four a.m. So that's all right. It's good. <laughs> Ouch! No, I think that's I think that's great. I I wish you guys all the best, and hopefully you'll get up to Sydney soon. I think that might be a little while away with just the world at the moment. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, we'll leave it there. I I really appreciated your time. I thought that was wonderful. I'm, yeah, really excited to share this episode with everyone. Nah, no problems and uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Alipate, for your time. I'm super grateful to have had the chance to speak to Alipate. I think it's a completely different world of sport to some of the Olympians that I've spoken to. So I'm really excited to have that sort of diversity in um, talking to an AFL player about their experiences. As always, if you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more episodes, not necessarily like it, but just more episodes from different athletes, from different walks of life, from different sports, please head on over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher and Google Podcast and you can find us there um, and just hit follow or subscribe just to make sure that you're getting notified when we release our uh, weekly episode. Thank you so much to the listeners. Thank you for joining again um, and I'll see you all next week. 